0: This episode of The Season Podcast was recorded by Dr. Ole Rummel and Mark McKenzie of The Season Center. You can listen to our other episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and as well as anywhere else you get your podcasts.
1: Welcome everyone to um, our latest uh, podcast. I was thinking that this podcast to me symbolizes that... Uh, Covid, and I don't want to tempt fate that Covid is truly, um, truly over, because um, this podcast is about our visiting scholar, and uh, you may know that the the Center has a visiting scholar program, and we uh, we are able to have two or three visiting scholars join us over the course of the year to do research with um, the the other members of staff of the CSEN Center, and indeed um, with uh, researchers from our members central banks. Of course, we can only have a visiting scholar program if people are able to visit, and this is now uh, again the case. So I am, I'm I'm very pleased um, to welcome a fellow countryman of mine, which is why I, I have the great, uh, the great honor and the privilege of introducing him. Because we are both German, this is going to be very formal, because, uh, you know, I have to mention all his his academic titles and all of this stuff. So, um, a very warm welcome to Professor Dr. Leif Dirks. He was a Professor of International Capital Markets at the Lübeck University of Applied Sciences, or if you speak German, the Technische Hochschule uh, Lübeck. So Leif is uh, joining us for a two week, um, well, uh, he, well, I, I don't want to take anything away from him, but he's joining us for a two-week period. Now, if you, um, again, I, I don't want to steal his thunder, but uh, just wanted to say uh, Lübeck is in the, the north north of Germany. Uh, it's about an hour away from Hamburg, and it's famous for a couple of, couple of things. One is um, it's got a very famous gate, um, which used to be on the old Deutsche Mark banknotes. Um, it is home to, or uh, Thomas Mann, probably Germany's uh, most famous author of the 20th century, grew up there. And it makes the best marzipan in the world. And Leif was kind enough to bring me some um, some uh, Lübeck marzipan uh, back. So that's all I'm going to say about Leif. Uh, I leave the the rest to him to sort of briefly introduce himself and what brought him to um, KL.
0: Well, uh, first of all, dear Ole, dear Mark, thank you very much, uh, not only for having me at the CSEN Center in KL, but also for the opportunity to join you on this podcast. I have to admit, I have been looking very much forward to my stay in KL. Not only because of the dull winter month in northern Germany, which you can imagine to be rather cloudy, rather grey, rather cold, but also because of, let's say, the intellectual challenges which accompany this visiting scholarship. Now, you have pretty much summarized the most relevant aspects, so I can be rather brief here. I grew up in South Africa and in Mexico, so occasionally you will perhaps note a certain South African accent in my English. Before then, having graduated from school, returning to Germany where I studied economics at the University of Kiel, but most notably at the Kiel Institute of Global Economics, which is a beautiful institution directly located on the Baltic Sea which means even from the library, you get a stunning view, if I may say so, on this fjord, which ranges way into Kiel. Paradoxically enough, perhaps, after I then finished my PhD, which was conducted in cooperation with the European Commission, and which, again, paradoxically enough, focused on microeconomic issues. So, I focused on investigating the extent to which trust could be a consumer or a determinant of consumer behavior under uncertainty. I decided against pursuing an academic career, but joined the ranks of an investment bank. So I first moved to Frankfurt and later on, I moved to Morgan Stanley where I worked for Morgan Stanley as a yeah or the global head of covered bond and SSA strategy traveling extensively and before after a decade or so I decided that I would like to regain control of my calendar now the good news about this type of job is needless to say not only your paycheck But this unique opportunity of working with very professional people and also of speaking to rather interesting clients. So during this stint, I managed to speak to, I would say, the biggest portfolio managers on a global scale, of course, including sovereign wealth funds, including central banks which means um, that I had a rather extended exposure vis-à-vis seeing clients all over the world, regularly traveling, not only to Europe, but also to Southeast Asia, to Central Asia, and of course, also to the United States. It was then in uh, 2013-14 that I was offered the professorship, which Ola had just mentioned focusing on international capital markets and finance. And yeah, ever since that day, I do teach. I have my research seminars. I supervise traditionally bachelor, master, PhD theses. And I've also made it a relatively important element of my CV to conduct a lot of guest professorships abroad. So for the time being, I was fortunate enough to spend a lot of time in Hangzhou, China, Chiang Mai, Thailand. I have been um, to the German universities both in Saigon, in Vietnam, in Amman, in Jordan, but also to Thailand at the Chiang Mai University. And now, of course, I benefit from being allowed to conduct research at the CSEN Center in Kuala Lumpur. In addition to my role in Madrid.
2: Excellent, um, Professor Leaf. Um, I mean, you have a fabulous, fabulous uh, resume, and I'm, I'm particularly um, um, uh, interested and found it quite interesting that you initially focus on microeconomics and trust. And I, I just wonder if I could just ask you on on this this subject of trust. Um, Professor Lee, I mean, it seems since the global financial crisis that um, a big issue that we're dealing with today is around trust, trust in institutions, um, trust in um, in central bank interest. I mean, is this something that you find um, today quite in- intriguing? As every good
0: economist, Mark, I would say it depends. But on a general note, a definite yes. If it were not for trust in institutions, or put differently, if it were not for the confidence and trust generated by the reputation, particularly of monetary authorities, I believe conducting monetary policy would be even more of a challenge than it is nowadays. And... I'm not referring to this because of some, let's say, Bundesbank heritage, but I believe that conducting monetary policy and institutions' reputation perhaps is among the single most important elements you could think of. If market participants do not believe that actions will follow your words, it will be a significantly more challenging task than it is nowadays already.
2: Um, thank, thank you. That, uh, that's excellent. Uh, yeah, thank you, thank you, Professor Lee.
1: Can I, can I follow up on that? Um, because I had a, I had a similar, I had a similar thought when you said trust and uh, uncertainty, and Mark, and Mark beat me to the punch. But um, you know, it's, it's sort of my, my experience, my limited experience, of. Um, visiting central banks around the world that in pretty much all instances the central bank is the most trusted institution in the country more trusted than politicians and 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 other other institutions or the ministry of finance or or, or the government so i think there's a special a special role for that central banks play especially in emerging market and developing countries, but it's also the case in in European Union countries where I'm not going to mention any names, but uh, where the central bank is the most trusted institution. So, I, I mean, the, the, uh, so the question I have is, with central banks being tasked to do more and more, activities that may not be core activities of the central bank and let me put it bluntly with politicians assigning more and more or, or shirking responsibility and heaping the task of climate change financial inclusion um you know, inequality financial literacy mm. you name it and making this the task of the central bank, is that trust still possible? It is a very good question. So
0: thank you for that, Ole, which of course requires me to to considerably uh, look into the future. I could now quote Mark Twain who once said that all forecasts are difficult, particularly when considering the future, but, of course, I'm not going to mention that. <laughs> um, instead, uh, perhaps let me, yeah, let me provide you with a eventually even cynical answer. Now, uh, first of all, I could not agree anymore. I believe that typically the mandates of monetary authorities are relatively clear, usually including uh, the maintenance of price stability and or eventually also um, stimulating economic growth. And that is when I believe one should draw a line when it comes to monetary policy in the strict sense of the word. The recent developments you have mentioned, of course, in my view at least, indicate policymakers' inability or eventually even unwillingness to assume a responsibility for a policy which they should be in charge which they should accept as a challenge as opposed to simply delegating it and again um, neither would i like to mention names here but if you have a look at institutions in the european monetary union which all of a sudden need to explain why precisely quantitative easing will be conducted on the back of so-called green bonds, why all of a sudden we spend days explaining what green finance could entail, eventually this concept and perhaps even the scope of monetary policy needs to be redefined because it is no longer in line with the traditional sense of the word, it is no longer in line with what most people expect monetary policy to be able to achieve. And as far as I'm concerned, it simply dilutes the yeah potential success monetary policy measures could have. So to answer your question, perhaps policymakers are simply trying to piggyback on the sound and the untarnished reputation of monetary authorities, because they believe that any such thing as an opposition or a reluctance to adopt these measures will be less pronounced in case people assign this or understand this to be assigned to the mandate of
2: the central bank.
1: Great. Uh, Thank you, Liv.
2: Thank you very much, Liv. Yeah. So, I mean, t- t- I, mean I-, I know you're here at the center for a, a very special project. Um, I mean, we would love to hear a little bit more um, about the project, uh, Professor Lee. Um, but, you know, you were sharing with us your transition from the private sector into academia. Um so so perhaps you could you know carry on from there for us and then you know bring us to the project uh, and and tell us a little bit more about your project
0: yes well i'd be delighted to um i think one of the crucial points in time was as um Ole had just mentioned the uh, covid pandemic where or during which i found myself in an apartment in portugal working on the finishing touches of my textbook on monetary policy and among the chapters which were or which provided to be quite challenging was that on the transmission mechanism of monetary policy needless to say all economies react differently these transmission mechanisms are not entirely let's say reliable or certain when it comes to timing And during these analyses, I spent some time investigating and analyzing the so-called sacrifice ratio, which in a nutshell points towards the economic growth, which economies need to give up in case a central bank decides to lower the headline inflation or the trend inflation, to be more precise, by one percentage point. So you can understand that to be kind of an elasticity. And that is when I then uh, thought about reaching out uh, to yes, new folks yes. at the CSEN Center.
2: Thank, thank you very much. I mean, uh, I mean Oli, I, I'm sure you have a question as well, but um, I wanted to ask you because you know, you're 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 talking about the um, monetary policy transmission mechanism, um, and from all that you have shared so far, the back of my mind is this whole um, transformation taking place in economies in terms of digitalization, and and I'm just kind of curious uh, because I'm not your hardcore economist, um, you know. From our traditional economic theory and the digitalization that we see today, I mean, d- does digitalization changes anything in terms of how monetary policy, interest rate mechanism are transmitted through the economy? Does it make it more challenging? Does it make it easier? Um, are there any concerns there?
0: Mm. That is a very good question, and um, again, I would perhaps uh, resort to saying it it depends. Now, I haven't heard a single voice claiming that it would make life easier, but I believe that is just naturally so. However, perhaps allow me to, to split your question into two elements, Mark. First, whenever we refer to a digitalization in terms of money or a currency, I would adopt a very cautious stance. It was, I think, two years ago that we have had some analysts forecasting the price of selected cryptocurrencies trading north of 100 grand dollars, which unsurprisingly it turned out to not be the case as we know nowadays. So, in other words, I think it was the Bank for International Settlement which earlier this week concluded that cryptocurrencies have lost the battle against fiat money. I'm not sure I would go as far because I would simply say that um, cryptos have, in my view at least, never fulfilled the requirements you ought to fulfill if you would like to be understood to be a money. They simply are not universally acceptable try and pay your coffee with uh, Bitcoin, for example. What is more, they are not a store of value if you just look at the volatility. And therefore, I believe we all are rather well advised to understand them as a financial asset, a purely speculative asset. And even then, I would adopt a somewhat more reserved stance saying, well, it is not speculation in the sense you engage in if you bought equity, if you bought shares of stock, because effectively, and it brings us back to trust, you rely on a perfectly artificial system. Secondly, and that would be the second part then, if I look at the technological progress behind cryptos, I think the answer could be positive, saying, yes, that might be an element of change forthcoming. But to avoid any misunderstandings here, I am now referring to the blockchain technology, which I believe is indeed hugely interesting for the sake of establishing a digital token or a digital currency. But mind you, if I were a central bank, I would make sure that this falls into my area of expertise and that it falls into my responsibility. So certainly there can be a, let's say, temporary parallel universe, but the moment people understand cryptos to be a speculative asset and not a money, we shall see that separating again. So in a nutshell, I would be surprised if we did not see several larger central banks carefully and in a very detailed manner looking into the blockchain technology to eventually adopt it for own digital tokens in the foreseeable future.
2: Thank you very much. I I, I thought you you were going to say that uh, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency had a trust issue. Uh, thank you very much uh, um, for that response. I, I
0: mean, think this trust issue is uh, is just too evident, isn't it? I it,
2: mean, it of is the, indeed. Yeah,
0: yeah. Of these uh, thousand or so um, digital tokens you have, five or six have become, well, not even five or six, even less have become household names and even they suffer from such an elevated volatility that this clearly is something retail investors ought to stay clear of
1: yeah i think it was uh, julian tett from the financial times who from time to time reminds us that credit comes from the latin word for trust uh-huh. um so underscoring again how how important trust is in finance and in and in and in economics can I take you back to the to the sacrifice ratio? Um, it's a bit of a sort of question from left field, for which I apologize in advance. But you were talking about, um, I think, trend or headline inflation in your mm-hmm. in your calculations, and I. So my question is about all these these sort of alternative inflation measures that we have, in terms of you know core inflation and and let me give you my take on it which you know i don't really believe in these core measures because we're taking out the most interesting the the kind of traditional core inflation measure where we take out energy and uh, food prices you know i think take out the most interesting and the most informative <laughs> components of of inflation yeah uh you know i have more sympathy for these sort of trimmed mean core inflation measures but even so you know i'm more of a sort of a traditionalist that it should be the long-run component in inflation where do you you know having written a book on monetary policy where do you stand on this I am highly skeptical of excluding
0: elements from the analysis of inflation (laughs) just because they are so volatile. Mm -hmm. If you could credibly argue that I do not consume either food or energy, I'd be all yours. But I believe that this image we get is perfectly tarnished and it no longer reveals anything close to the real numbers if you kick this out. And even if it were perhaps for a, yeah, let's say, sound mathematical reason, none of which I could think of anyhow, it still would not paint a realistic image of reality because unfortunately, uh, people are subject to extremely, depending on which part of the world you look at, elevated prices in energy and in foodstuffs. And that is not a development which I believe is uh, just temporary or transient, but it will gain considerable momentum and enhance importance in in the month and uh, years eventually going forward
2: i think you're muted alex uh, yep. sorry <laughs> <laughs>
1: thank, thank you for that elif um in terms of the sacrifice ratio so you know it's sort of a, a concept i'm i'm learning while you i'm learning about while you are here and while you're working on it and for me, this can this can go in one of two ways. Um, sort of, you know, the differences in sort of. Well, I was going to ask you about sort of preliminary findings of your research. In the sense, are these sacrifice ratio bigger in emerging markets than they are in in um, in advanced economies? And the reason I'm I'm not quite sure where a priori. Um, whether they should be all that different is because it's not clear to me. You know, is it easier rem- uh, moving inflation from two to one percent than it is from six to four percent or six mm. to three percent, or 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 the other way the other way around?
0: That is a very good question, and um, well, I I could now answer and say uh, there's something we have in common, Ola because I, I tend to learn quite a lot about the sacrifice ratio whilst being here too. <laughs>
2: um,
0: the, the tricky issue is that there is no such thing as one common, common definition of what the sacrifice ratio is. So methodologically, um, you get as many definitions and Hans approaches as you have economists working on this, which complicates matters when it comes to a, a potential comparison. My preliminary results, they indicate, and now we need to go into the technical details. First, we need to identify an inflationary period. We then need to find a contractive monetary policy, which comes at a response, to then see the economy entering a period of disinflation, which is accompanied by a contraction in economic growth. And then once you have identified this period, we can start working on the math behind that. The numbers I get, and as said, they are uh, just preliminary for the time being, are bang in line with previous research. They are not excessively higher or excessively lower than we would see in um, studies looking into the United States, looking into the G7 or the G20 economies. The sensitivity when it comes to interest rate hikes, to eventually lower inflation, is in this context also comparable. And this is one of the weak points of the entire methodological approach, assuming that there is a stable relationship. And while saying that, let me give you another issue we have here, which yeah, I think future research needs to look into in depth. The question of the causality is not entirely clear because even though I managed to identify these periods and even though I managed to establish a relatively sound correlation, it is eventually perhaps concluded prematurely that I have this causality too. I could think of so many other factors which bring down the inflation rate in addition to a contractive monetary policy that all the assumptions we make simply excluding them and uh, looking at the other or not looking at the other factors might eventually prove to be a challenging element of the entire analysis.
2: So, I mean, so can, can I ask as well, I mean, uh, so I, I'm, I'm also learning in the past two weeks of the, yeah. you know, the sacrifice ratio, um, you know, because you need to identify this inflationary period and this um, monetary contractor period. I, I'm just kind of curious in terms of longitudinal study. I mean, like is, is there a lot of data available for this kind of uh, study? In principle,
0: Mark, you need to look into the inflation, you need to look into the main refinancing rates, and you need to look into output growth. You can then refine the analysis by looking into trend output, uh, determining the output gap, but as i've said before it depends on the methodological approach you seek to choose data availability is not a problem had you asked me with regards to the reliability of the available data i might have resorted to a different answer because the impression i get is that particularly as of late but this data can't be included of course I observe a tendency, a global tendency, to perhaps paint things a little rosier than they actually are. So I'm not going to paint any fingers here, but I do see a strong deviation from, yeah, preliminary inflation numbers and then final and revised inflation numbers, just to give you an example, which again, uh, that is something which is irrelevant for this ex post analysis but could be a very interesting point of analysis when we analyze the development witnessed in 2022-2023 as a reaction of this global rate hike cycle. Now, bear in mind, and this is not designed to be any excuse, but bear in mind that, of course, I can't include this data because we don't have 22-23 numbers as, as of late, but I believe that that is something very challenging for future research as we need to pencil in an answer to defining to the question whether this can exclusively be attributed to a more restrictive monetary policy.
2: Thank, thank you.
1: If, if I may, if I may uh, return to uh, a much earlier point, uh, in particular point about your career, um, because it's not unfamiliar to our member central banks, which is, uh, in your case, the interplay between a financial sector job and an and, and academic job. And for our members, it would be, you know, moving from the central bank into the financial sector or indeed the other way round. So uh, in your case, would you have, I mean, was your experience i would presume your experience in markets was beneficial to being a professor of international capital markets
0: and that uh, dear ole is very very mildly put um (laughs) I, I, i would simply contest that i would certainly not be sitting where i am today if it had not been for my practical experience before it is an entirely different issue if your Knowledge of economic developments is from a textbook or is from first a hands-on experience. And just to give you an example, because I remember thinking about that when I finished my book. Bear in mind that behind us lies almost a decade of a unprecedented low interest rate environment. And then put that into relationship to the many young traders you get in the industry which despite perhaps having 10 years of experience on the job have never witnessed a rate hike so if you have got a sound track record be it in academia then moving to the practical side of things or vice versa is something which I believe is hugely beneficial for any career you could think of. Or put bluntly, it enhances your street credibility because it's not only that you have gained your knowledge from reading papers and textbooks, but you have worked on these issues firsthand on.
1: Yeah, the reason I bring this up is because I was, uh, I had the opportunity to talk to someone from a, uh, recently from, a, you know, one of the predominant central banks. Mm-hmm. And I was struck by the fact that uh, the flow is from the central bank to financial markets only and not the other uh, other way around. So you would leave the central bank and join an investment bank or whatever, a large commercial bank. And I was sort of thinking, and then, but it doesn't go the other way. Uh, Mm -hmm. So the central bank does not consider moves the other way, which I think they are missing out on experienced people because it's it's helpful if, you know, if we have a sort of a two-way flow so that the central bank knows what the markets are up to and the markets know what a central bank does and how they do it and and so on and so forth. Absolutely. (laughs) so 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 and, and i think there are a couple of um, points
2: to to make around this uh, and, and and again it's there there there's some differences as well um in some of the newer areas uh, and 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 i'm just speaking for what we do at the CSEN center for example you know we have moved in a Environment now, where data, data analytics, um, data science is becomes more crucial. Where, for example, um, security is become more important. So what we're seeing is um, a, a demand for the skill set: da- um, better data scientists, uh, um, more data analytics, um, more cybersecurity expert, that, that kind of stuff. Um, The true may not be the same in terms of people with um, financial market experience. But then from a regulator point of view, um, there's this revolving door, for example, in some advanced economy where what you then get is uh, a very high profile individual leaving the central banks to the private sector. And then that now becomes uh, a part of the the issue as well. So, I mean, there's obvious benefit from for both sides, but there are some issues for us to consider as well, um, based on what we do here at the CSUN Centre as well.
0: I could not agree anymore. I believe that this uh, metaphor of a revolving door is not too bad because both sides, that is the private and the public sector, would hugely benefit if uh, we just spoke to one another, as at the end of the day, financial stability is in the best interest of all parties involved. And this is why I am also fairly convinced that experts on financial matters, be it stability, be it monetary policy in the strict sense of the word, will always um, be around and will always be relevant, and I don't see any conflict in rising arising to the current increased need in, let's say, big data analysts, et cetera.
2: Yes, thank, thank you very much. Um, so, Oli, I'm, I'm just keeping track of the time here, Ollie. Um uh, you know, I, I think you know we 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 have another week or so with Professor Leaf, but um, obviously this is a fascinating conversation. Um, so so perhaps uh, you know if you could just give us um, Professor Leaf, and then I'll I'll let Ola wrap us up. You know some of your tokens, your you know passing shots. You know, what would, would you advise, for example, what would be some of your key points to Asia as well, to young central bankers, for mm-hmm. example?
0: That's a It's a good question, Mark. Uh, thank you for that. I believe that the most important piece of advice from my very own experience I can give is to, yeah, as simple as it sounds, uh, remain open-minded. Bear in mind that... The way economics is being taught is relatively comparable around the world, around the globe. And even though this is very helpful when it comes to understanding market developments, I personally believe that I have hugely benefited from also looking in depth into different paradigms. You must not like them. You must not uh, even accept them as your own way of understanding how markets function. But at least trying to understand how other people perceive markets and market movements will, as far as I'm concerned, greatly enhance your understanding of what is happening out there. So stay focused and, uh, yeah, as as uh, pathetic as it might sound, uh, stay open-minded. Wow, that's fantastic. Ole?
1: Yeah, um, I I wish I, I had something to add to this, but uh, I think Leif said, said it much better than I could. So let me take this opportunity to thank our visiting scholar, uh, Professor Dr. Leif Dix, um, for joining us uh, today. Um, as you heard, uh, he's busy working on his uh, on his uh, research project, on the sacrifice ratio, which will come out as a seasoned working paper and uh, hopefully as a published journal article in due course. So keep your eyes peeled on our website. Uh, um, we will obviously announce the publication of that paper. Um, and let me thank uh, Leif for joining us today and for, um uh, a- approaching us and uh, and offering to serve as a visiting scholar uh, which is much appreciated and um thank you also to mark for co-hosting and to all of you uh, listening uh, as always stay safe stay healthy and please join us for one of our season outreach uh, products uh, soon. It could be another podcast, or it could be a blog, or it could be an online seminar. Um, we all, we always love to hear from you. And um, with that, uh, I'm, I'll be signing off. Well, um, gentlemen,
0: uh, then let okay. me seize the opportunity. And uh, I would, uh, yeah, very much like to express my gratitude to you for having me here. It's a unique opportunity. And I really enjoy being able, being allowed to spend time at the CSEN Center. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's
2: podcast. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify so you don't miss any upcoming episodes.
0: If you have a comment or question for our hosts and
2: speakers, email us at podcastseason.org and follow us on Twitter or on our LinkedIn page at Season Center.